3. So right way up, for ordinarily the visual picture is inverted on the retina, like that on the ground glass at the back of a photographic camera. To sum up this somewhat rambling chapter, I have endeavored to show that there are two aspects from which the objective world can be apprehended. There is the purely mental perception founded chiefly on knowledge derived from our sense of touch associated with vision, whose primitive instinct is to put an outline round objects as representing their boundaries in space. And secondly, there is the visual perception, which is concerned with the visual aspects of objects as they appear on the retina, an arrangement of color shapes, a sort of mosaic of color, and these two aspects give us two different points of view from which the representation of visible things can be approached. When the representation from either point of view is carried far enough, the result is very similar. Work built up on outline drawing to which has been added light and shade, color, aerial perspective, and see, may eventually approximate to the perfect visual appearance, and inversely, representations approached from the point of view of pure vision, the mosaic of color on the retina, if pushed far enough, may satisfy the mental perception of form with its touch associations. And of course the two points of view are intimately connected. You cannot put an accurate outline round an object without observing the shape it occupies in the field of vision. And it is difficult to consider the mosaic of color forms without being very conscious of the objective significance of the color masses portrayed. But they present two entirely different and opposite points of view from which the representation of objects can be approached. In considering the subject of drawing I think it necessary to make this division of the subject and both methods of form expression should be studied by the student. Let us call the first method line drawing and the second mass drawing. Most modern drawing is a mixture of both these points of view, but they should be studied separately if confusion is to be avoided. If the student neglects line drawing, his work will lack the expressive significance of form that only a feeling for lines seems to have the secret of conveying, while, if he neglects mass drawing, he will be poorly equipped when he comes to express form with a brush full of paint to work with. I line drawing most of the earliest forms of drawing known to us in history, like those of the child we were discussing in the last chapter, are largely in the nature of outline drawings. This is a remarkable fact considering the somewhat remote relation lines have to the complete phenomena of vision. Outlines can only be said to exist in appearances as the boundaries of masses, but even here a line seems a poor thing from the visual point of view as the boundaries are not always clearly defined, but are continually merging into the surrounding mass and losing themselves to be caught up again later on and defined once more. Its relationship with visual appearances is not sufficient to justify the instinct for line drawing. It comes, I think, as has already been said, from the sense of touch. When an object is felt there is no merging in the surrounding mass, but a firm definition of its boundary, which the mind instinctively conceives as a line. There is a more direct appeal to the imagination in line drawing than in possibly anything else in pictorial art. The emotional stimulus given by fine design is due largely to a line work. The power a line possesses of instinctively directing the eye along its course is of the utmost value also, enabling the artist to concentrate the attention of the beholder where he wishes. Then there is a harmonic sense in lines and their relationships, a music of line that is found at the basis of all good art but this subject will be treated later on when talking of line rhythm. Most artists whose work makes a large appeal to the imagination are strong on the value of line. Blake, whose visual knowledge was such a negligible quantity, but whose mental perceptions were so magnificent, was always insisting on its value, and his designs are splendid examples of its powerful appeal to the imagination. 
On this basis of line drawing the development of art proceeded, the early Egyptian wall paintings were outlines tinted, and the earliest wall sculpture was an incised outline. After these incised lines some man of genius thought of cutting away the surface of the wall between the outlines and modeling it in low relief. The appearance of this may have suggested to the man painting his outline on the wall the idea of shading between his outlines. At any rate the next development was the introduction of a little shading to relieve the flatness of the line work and suggest modeling, and this was as far as things had gone in the direction of the representation of form, until well on in the Italian Renaissance. Botticelli used nothing else than an outline lightly shaded to indicate form. Light and shade were not seriously perceived until Leonardo di Avonside, and a wonderful discovery it was thought to be, and was, indeed, although it seems difficult to understand where men's eyes had been for so long with the phenomena of light and shade before them all the time. But this is only another proof of what cannot be too often insisted on, namely that the eye only sees what it is on the lookout for and it may even be there are things just as wonderful yet to be discovered in vision, but it was still the touch association of an object that was the dominant one, it was within the outline demanded by the sense that the light and shade were to be introduced as something as it were put on the object, it was the solids in space idea that art was still appealing to, the first object of a painter is to make a simple flat surface appear like a relievo, and some of its parts detached from the ground, he who excels all others in that part of the art deserves the greatest praise, wrote Leonardo di Avonside, and the insistence on this, standing out, quality, with its appeal to the touch sense as something great in art, sounds very strange in these days, but it must be remembered that the means of creating this illusion were new to all and greatly wondered at, and again, in paragraph 176 of his treatise, Leonardo writes, the knowledge of the outline is of most consequence, and yet may be acquired to great certainty by dint of study, as the outlines of the human figure, particularly those which do not bend, are invariably the same, but the knowledge of the situation, quality and quantity of shadows, being infinite, requires the most extensive study, the outlines of the human figure are, invariably the same, what does this mean, from the visual point of view we know that the space occupied by figures in the field of our vision is by no means, invariably the same, but of great variety, so it cannot be the visual appearance he is speaking about, it can only refer to the mental idea of the shape of the members of the human figure, the remark, particularly those that do not bend, shows this also, for when the body is bent up even the mental idea of its form must be altered, there is no hint yet of vision being exploited for itself, but only in so far as it yielded material to stimulate this mental idea of the exterior world, illustration, play Ix. Study by W.A.D.D.A.U. from an original drawing in the collection of Charles Ricketts and Charles Shannon. All through the work of the men who used this light and shade or chiaroscuro, as it was called the outline basis remained. Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo, Titian, and the Venetians were all faithful to it as the means of holding their pictures together, although the Venetians, by fusing the edges of their outline masses, got very near the visual method to be introduced later by Velasquez. In this way, little by little, starting from a basis of simple outline forms, art grew up. Each new detail of visual appearance discovered adding, as it were, another instrument to the orchestra at the disposal of the artist, enabling him to add to the somewhat crude directness and simplicity of the early work the graces and refinements of the more complex work, making the problem of composition more difficult but increasing the range of its expression. But these additions to the visual formula used by artists was not all gain 
The simplicity of the means at the disposal of a Botticelli gives an innocence and imaginative appeal to his work that it is difficult to think of preserving with the more complete visual realization of later schools. When the realization of actual appearance is most complete, the mind is liable to be led away by side issues connected with the things represented, instead of seeing the emotional intentions of the artist expressed through them. The mind is apt to leave the picture and looking, as it were, not at it but through it, to pursue a train of thought associated with the objects represented as real objects, but alien to the artistic intention of the picture. There is nothing in these early formerly to disturb the contemplation of the emotional appeal of pure form and color, to those who approach a picture with the idea that the representation of nature, the making it look like the real thing, is the sole object of painting. How strange must be the appearance of such pictures as Botticelli's. The accumulation of the details of visual observation in art is liable eventually to obscure the main idea and disturb the large sense of design on which so much of the imaginative appeal of a work of art depends. The large amount of new visual knowledge that the naturalistic movements of the 19th century brought to light is particularly liable at this time to obscure the simpler and more primitive qualities on which all good art is built. At the height of that movement line drawing went out of fashion, and charcoal, and an awful thing called a stump, took the place of the point in the schools. Charcoal is a beautiful medium in a dexterous hand, but is more adaptable to mass than to a line drawing. The less said about the stump the better, although I believe it still lingers on in some schools. Line drawing is happily reviving, and nothing is so calculated to put new life and strength into the vagaries of naturalistic painting and get back into art a fine sense of design. This obscuring of the direct appeal of art by the accumulation of too much naturalistic detail, and the loss of power it entails, is the cause of artists having occasionally gone back to a more primitive convention. There was the archaistic movement in Greece, and men like Rossetti and Burne Jones found a better means of expressing the things that moved them in the technique of the 14th century, and it was no doubt a feeling of the weakening influence on art, as an expressive force of the elaborate realizations of the modern school, that prompted Pavise de Chavins to invent for himself his large primitive manner. It will be noticed that in these instances it is chiefly the insistence upon outline that distinguishes these artists from their contemporaries. Art, like life, is apt to languish if it gets too far away from primitive conditions, but, like life also, it is a poor thing and a very uncouth affair if it has nothing but primitive conditions to recommend it because there is a decadent art about. One need not make a hero of the pavement artist, but without going to the extreme of flouting the centuries of culture that art inherits, as it is now fashionable in many places to do. Students will do well to study at first the early rather than the late work of the different schools, so as to get in touch with the simple conditions of design on which good work is built. It is easier to study these essential qualities when they are not overlaid by so much knowledge of visual realization. The skeleton of the picture is more apparent in the earlier than the later work of any school. The finest example of the union of the primitive with the most refined and cultured art the world has ever seen is probably the Parthenon at Athens, a building that has been the wonder of the artistic world for over 2,000 years. Not only are the fragments of its sculptures in the British Museum amazing, but the beauty and proportions of its architecture are of a refinement that is, I think, never even attempted in these days. What architect now thinks of correcting the poorness of hard, straight lines by very slightly curving them, or of slightly sloping inwards the columns of his facade to add to the strength of its appearance? The amount of these variations is of the very slightest and bears witness to the pitch of refinement attempted, and yet, with it all, how simple, 
There is something of the primitive strength of Stonehenge in that solemn row of columns rising firmly from the steps without any base. With all its magnificence, it still retains the simplicity of the hut from which it was evolved. Something of the same combination of primitive grandeur and strength with exquisite refinement of visualization is seen in the art of Michelangelo. His followers adopted the big, muscular type of their master, but lost the primitive strength he expressed, and when this primitive force was lost sight of, what a decadence set in. This is the point at which art reaches its highest mark, when to the primitive strength and simplicity of early art are added the infinite refinements and graces of culture without destroying or weakening the sublimity of the expression. In painting, the refinement and graces of culture take the form of an increasing truth to natural appearances, added bit by bit to the primitive baldness of early work, until the point is reached, as it was in the 19th century when apparently the whole facts of visual nature are incorporated, from this wealth of visual material, to which must be added the knowledge we now had of the arts of the East, of China, Japan, and India. The modern artist has to select those things that appeal to him, has to select those elements that answer to his inmost need of expressing himself as an artist. No wonder a period of artistic dyspepsia is upon us. No wonder our exhibitions, particularly those on the continent, are full of strange, Weird things, the problem before the artist was never so complex, but also never so interesting. New forms, new combinations, new simplifications are to be found, but the steadying influence and discipline of line work were never more necessary to the student. The primitive force we are in danger of losing depends much on line, and no work that aims at a sublime impression can dispense with the basis of a carefully wrought and simple line scheme. The study, therefore, of pure line drawing is of great importance to the painter, and the numerous drawings that exist by the great masters in this method show how much they understood its value, and the revival of line drawing, and the desire there is to find a simpler convention founded on this basis, are among the most hopeful signs in the art of the moment. The mass drawing in the preceding chapter it has, I hope, been shown that outline drawing is an instinct with Western artists and has been so from the earliest times that this instinct is due to the fact that the first mental idea of an object is the sense of its form as a felt thing, not a thing seen, and that an outline drawing satisfies and appeals directly to this mental idea of objects. But there is another basis of expression directly related to visual appearances that in the fullness of time was evolved, and has had a very great influence on modern art. This form of drawing is based on the consideration of the flat appearances on the retina with the knowledge of the felt shapes of objects for the time being forgotten, in opposition to a line drawing, we may call this mass drawing, the scientific truth of this point of view is obvious, if only the accurate copying of the appearances of nature were the sole object of art and idea to be met with among students the problem of painting would be simpler than an island and would be likely ere long to be solved by the photographic camera, this form of drawing is the natural means of expression when a brush full of paint is in your hands, the reducing of a complicated appearance to a few simple masses is the first necessity of the painter, but this will be fully explained in a later chapter treating more practically of the practice of mass drawing. Illustration, play X example of 15th century Chinese work by Yuan British Museum showing how early Chinese masters had developed the mass drawing point of view. The art of China and Japan appears to have been more influenced by this view of natural appearances than that of the West has been, until quite lately. The Eastern mind does not seem to be so obsessed by the objectivity of things as is the Western mind. With us the practical sense of touch is all-powerful. I know that is so. 
because I felt it with my hands, would be a characteristic expression with us, whereas I do not think it would be an expression the Eastern mind would use. With them the spiritual essence of the thing seen appears to be the more real, judging from their art, and who is to say they may not be right. This is certainly the impression one gets from their beautiful painting, with its lightness of texture and avoidance of solidity. It is founded on nature regarded as a flat vision, instead of a collection of solids in space. Their use of line is also much more restrained than with us, and it is seldom used to accentuate the solidity of things, but chiefly to support the boundaries of masses and suggest detail. Light and shade, which suggest solidity, are never used. A wide light where there is no shadow pervades everything, their drawing being done with the brush in masses. When, as in the time of Titian, the art of the West had discovered light and shade, linear perspective, aerial perspective, and sea, and had begun by fusing the edges of the masses to suspect the necessity of painting to a widely diffused focus, they had got very near considering appearances as a visual whole, but it was not until Velasquez that a picture was painted that was founded entirely on visual appearances, in which a basis of objective outlines was discarded and replaced by a structure of tone masses. When he took his own painting room with the little infant and her maids as a subject, Velasquez seems to have considered it entirely as one flat visual impression. The focal attention is centered on the infant, with the figures on either side more or less out of focus, those on the extreme right being quite blurred. The reproduction here given unfortunately does not show these subtleties, and flattens the general appearance very much. The focus is nowhere sharp, as this would disturb the contemplation of the large visual impression. And there, I think, for the first time, the whole gamut of natural vision, tone, color, form, light and shade, atmosphere, focus, and see, considered as one impression, were put on canvas, all sense of design is lost, the picture has no surface, it is all atmosphere between the four edges of the frame, and the objects are within, placed as it is in the Prado, with the light coming from the right as in the picture. There is no break between the real people before it and the figures within, except the slight yellow veil due to age, but wonderful as this picture island is a tour de force, like his Venus of the same period in the National Gallery, it is a painter's picture, and makes but a cold impression on those not interested in the technique of painting, with the cutting away of the primitive support of fine outline design and the absence of those accents conveying a fine form stimulus to the mind, art has lost much of its emotional significance. Illustration, Plate Zai, La Semianianese, by the Lazy Qeuazy Prado probably the first picture ever painted entirely from the visual or impressionist standpoint. Photo Anderson but art has gained a new point of view. With a subjective way of considering appearances this impressionist vision, as it has been called many things that were too ugly, either from shape or association, to yield material for the painter, were yet found when viewed as part of a scheme of color sensations on the retina which the artist considers emotionally and rhythmically, to lend themselves to new and beautiful harmonies and ensembles, and rendered by the earlier formulae, and further, many effects of light that were too hopelessly complicated for painting, considered on the old light and shade principles for instance, sunlight through trees in a wood, were found to be quite paintable, considered as an impression of various color masses. The early formula could never free itself from the object as a solid thing, and had consequently to confine its attention to beautiful ones, but from the new point of view, form consists of the shape and qualities of masses of color on the retina, and what objects happen to be the outside cause of these shapes matters little to the impressionist, 
Nothing is ugly when seen in a beautiful aspect of light, and aspect is with them everything. This consideration of the visual appearance in the first place necessitated an increased dependence on the model. As he does not now draw from his mental perceptions the artist has nothing to select the material of his picture from until it has existed as a seen thing before him, until he has a visual impression of it in his mind, with the older point of view the representation by a pictorial description, as it were, based on the mental idea of an object, the model was not so necessary, in the case of the impressionist the mental perception is arrived at from the visual impression, and in the older point of view the visual impression is the result of the mental perception. Thus it happens that the Impressionist movement has produced chiefly pictures inspired by the actual world of visual phenomena around us, the older point of view producing most of the pictures deriving their inspiration from the glories of the imagination, the mental world in the mind of the artist, and although interesting attempts are being made to produce imaginative works founded on the Impressionist point of view of light and air, the loss of imaginative appeal consequent upon the destruction of contours by scintillation, atmosphere, and sea and the loss of line rhythm it entails, have so far prevented the production of any very satisfactory results, but undoubtedly there is much new material brought to light by this movement waiting to be used imaginatively, and it offers a new field for the selection of expressive qualities. This point of view, although continuing to some extent in the Spanish school, did not come into general recognition until the last century in France. The most extreme exponents of it are the body of artists who group themselves round Claude Monet. This impressionist movement, as the critics have labeled it, was the result of a fierce determination to consider nature solely from the visual point of view, making no concessions to any other associations connected with sight. The result was an entirely new vision of nature, startling and repulsive to eyes unaccustomed to observation from a purely visual point of view and used only to seeing the feel of things, as it were. The first results were naturally rather crude, but a great amount of new visual facts were brought to light, particularly those connected with the painting of sunlight and half-light effects. Indeed the whole painting of strong light has been permanently affected by the work of this group of painters. Emancipated from the objective world, they no longer dissected the object to see what was inside it, but studied rather the anatomy of the light refracted from it to their eyes. Finding this to be composed of all the colors of the rainbow as seen in the solar spectrum, and that all the effects nature produced are done with different proportions of these colors, they took them, or the nearest pigments they could get to them, for their palette, eliminating the earth colors and black, and further, finding that nature's colors the rays of colored light when mixed produce different results than their corresponding pigments mixed together, they determined to use their paints as pure as possible placing them one against the other to be mixed as they came to the eye, the mixture being one of pure color rays, not pigments, by this means, but we are here only concerned with the movement as it affected form, and must avoid the fascinating province of color, those who had been brought up in the old school of outline form said there was no drawing in these impressionist pictures, and from the point of view of the mental idea of form discussed in the last chapter, there was indeed little, although, had the impression been realized to a sufficiently definite focus, the sense of touch and solidity would probably have been satisfied, but the particular field of this new point of view, the beauty of tone and color relations considered as an impression apart from objectivity, did not tempt them to carry their work so far as this, or the insistence on these particular qualities would have been lost, but interesting and alluring as is the new world of visual music opened up by this point of view. It is beginning to be realized that it has failed somehow to satisfy, in the first place, 
the implied assumption that one sees with the eye alone is wrong, in every object there is an exhaustible meaning, the eye sees in it what the eye brings means of seeing, and it is the mind behind the eye that supplies this means of perception, one sees with the mind, the ultimate effect of any picture, be it impressionist, prosed, anti, or otherwise is its power to stimulate these mental perceptions within the mind, but even from the point of view of the true visual perception if there is such a thing that modern art has heard so much talk of, the copying of the retina picture is not so great a success. The impression carried away from a scene that has moved us is not its complete visual aspect. Only those things that are significant to the felt impression have been retained by the mind, and if the picture is to be a true representation of this, the significant facts must be sorted out from the mass of irrelevant matter and presented in a lively manner. The impressionist's habit of painting before nature entirely is not calculated to do this, going time after time to the same place, even if similar weather conditions are waited for, although well enough for studies, is against the production of a fine picture. Every time the artist goes to the selected spot he receives a different impression, so that he must either paint all over his picture each time, in which case his work must be confined to a small scale and will be hurried in execution or he must paint a bit of today's impression alongside of yesterday's, in which case his work will be dull and lacking in oneness of conception, and further, in decomposing the color rays that come to the eye and painting in pure color, while great addition was made to the power of expressing light, yet by destroying the definitions and enveloping everything in a scintillating atmosphere, the power to design in a large manner was lost with the wealth of significance that the music of line can convey but Impressionism has opened up a view from which much interesting matter for art is to be gleaned, and everywhere painters are selecting from this, and grafting it onto some of the more traditional schools of design. Our concern here is with the influence this point of view has had upon draftsmanship. The influence has been considerable, particularly with those draftsmen whose work deals with the rendering of modern life. It consists in drawing from the observation of the silhouette occupied by objects in the field of vision observing the flat appearance of things as they are on the retina, this island of course, the only accurate way in which to observe visual shapes, the difference between this and the older point of view is its insistence on the observation of the flat visual impression to the exclusion of the tactile or touch sense that by the association of ideas we have come to expect in things seen, an increased truth to the character of appearances has been the result, with a corresponding loss of plastic form expression. On pages 66 and 67 a reproduction of a drawing in the British Museum, attributed to Michelangelo, is contrasted with one in the Louvre by Degas. The one is drawn from the line point of view and the other from the mass. They both contain lines, but in the one case the lines are the contours of felt forms and in the other the boundaries of visual masses. In the Michelangelo the silhouette is only the result of the overlapping of rich forms considered in the round. Every muscle and bone has been mentally realized as a concrete thing and the drawing made as an expression of this idea. Note the line rhythm also, the sense of energy and movement conveyed by the swinging curves, and compare with what is said later page 160 to transcriber's note, side note, curved lines, about the rhythmic significance of swinging curves. Then compare it with the degas and observe the totally different attitude of mind in which this drawing has been approached. Instead of the outlines being the result of forms felt as concrete things, the silhouette is everywhere considered first. The plastic sense nowhere so great as in the other being arrived at from the accurate consideration of the mass shapes. Notice also the increased attention to individual character in the degas. Observe the pathos of those under little arms, and the hand holding the tired ankle how individual it all is. 
What a different tale this little figure tells from that given before the footlights. See with what sympathy the conjures have been searched for those accents expressive of all this. Illustration, plate XII. Study attributed to Michelangelo British Museum Note the desire to express form as a felt solid thing. The conjures resulting from the overlapping forms. The visual appearance is arrived at as a result of giving expression to the mental idea of a solid object. Illustration, plate XII. Study by D. Gas Luxembourg in contrast with Michelangelo's drawing. Note the preoccupation with the silhouette the spaces occupied by the different masses in the field of vision, how the appearance solid forms is the result of accurately portraying this visual appearance. Photo Levi how remote from individual character is the Michelangelo in contrast with this. Instead of an individual he gives us the expression of a glowing mental conception of man as a type of physical strength and power. The rhythm is different also, in the one case being a line rhythm, and in the other a consideration of the flat pond.